I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast today, Laura Rosen. She is the creator and editor of the Diplomatic Substack channel. You can find her latest, The Civilian Cavalry is Coming, and she's also an editorial board member of Just Security. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much. Laura, has there ever been a moment in your distinguished career of covering geopolitics and the international order um, where there has been more concern on the part of uh, countries about the future of the United States? I think not. Um, um, you know, you saw the shock from, you know, British Prime Minister Johnson and French President Macron and Angela Merkel and even Israeli Prime Minister and close uh, Trump ally Bibi Netanyahu last week, and they all condemned the attack on the Capitol. Some mentioned Trump, some did not. Um, uh, Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau, um, you know, said he thought that the president had incited um, the attack on the Capitol that occurred. So, you know, those are the closest U.S. allies. Um, you know, I, and you saw, you know, kind of a little bit nervous, uh, you know, I don't know what the word is, tinkling or trolling from Iran and Russia about, you know, they hope that uh, U.S. can recover its dignity and blah, blah, blah about, about protesters, you know, uh, making fun of, of U.S. Uh, previous uh, calls for them to uphold human rights and, and the rights of dissenters. Um, but yeah, what, what, a, what a disgrace for the United States. Right. And, and it seems like countries outside of the U.S. appreciate more that this was domestic terrorism than necessarily the country as a whole. Although I do think there is an increasing awareness that the climate that has been incited is, is um, if you want to call it insurrectionist, uh, rebellious, but it is, it is not normal politics. It is not even normal you know, if you want to say alt-right or alt-left, like it's not the normal extremes of partisanship. So um, I'm wondering in in your uh, reporting on foreign policy and diplomacy, how you think that um, the new administration will most effectively try to demonstrate that this domestic terrorist incident was an aberration and is not something that the rest of the world should expect will be in, in the future beyond the Trump years? They're all great questions. And I think we're all, um, you know, foreign allies, foreign observers, Americans, um, you know, those of us like you and I who are trying to watch U.S. US policy and politics you know, we're still trying to absorb what happened, learning new information. Um, some of us who've been focused on one thing or the other, like me at the State Department, um, you know, are are finding ourselves having to look more closely at rabbit holes. We just haven't had time to look at so much, like the QAnon conspiracy, the Proud Boys, all these kind of crazy, you know, there, there are a lot of crazy people. And sometimes if you have a job, I'm sure... A lot of Americans, if you just are trying to take care of your family and trying to do your job, you know, if you hear crazy people, sometimes you just ignore them because you assume that other people think they're crazy too, right? So I feel like, you know, maybe I'm guilty of that. Maybe many of us are have legitimate reasons for not having been as focused on this 
dangerous, crazy group of people and, and expected that the law enforcement agencies, the, you know, would be prepared to thwart, uh, whether you call it a terrorist attack or an insurrectionist attack, um, you know, that they would, it's their job, their responsibility to avert this kind of thing. And so it's been uh, dismaying to see probably the mix of incompetence. And you have to wonder if some people and some of the agencies that Trump installed, um, I don't think we can rule out yet without further investigation, whether some of the people and some of the agencies um played a more active or passive role in what was not averted on Wednesday, whether people at the defense department or at, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to impugn a specific figure, but, you know, is there a reason that the intelligence that open source media analysts say was widely online out of this, that the intelligence agencies didn't tell um, law enforcement that, you know, it's quite likely you're going to have a big law, large armed group of people um, who are talking about taking the Capitol. You know, the FBI DC uh, DC person uh, was cited in the media yesterday saying we had no indications um, there was going to be an arms, uh, there was going to be violence, right? But if you talk to like Brandy Sindoni and the NBC, MSNBC um, uh, people who look at the disinformation online. They're like, this has been all over the internet for months, right? For, for weeks and, and, you know, um, and Trump um, associating himself with it. I think that the investigations will determine ultimately the complicity of individuals in agencies. What has occurred to me in thinking about this is if you are the TSA and one TSA agent goes rogue, you can precipitate immense damage. Just one officer of that agency, right, in in a domestic or international terrorist attack. And either the Capitol Police uh, were not prepared themselves for the contingency that one of their own might let the barricade in. Right. I mean, I don't know if you saw the Washington Post piece on Sunday that – that interviewed the, the Capitol Police chief who just resigned, um, Sund. And he was saying that, you know, the day before, Sunday before the, the attacks on Wednesday, a week ago, he had asked the, the Senate and House sergeants at arms if he could get the National Guard on standby in case, um, you know, in case things went wrong. And they told him no. And one of them told him, he said, um, um, why don't you informally reach out to your, you know, buddy at the National Guard and see if they might have a few people if you need them. But it was, they didn't want to go through formal reasons. So anyhow, we, you have to do an extensive 9-11 type investigation on, on you know, one, one media report, he said, she said, it's very hard to understand what happened. Then you have, you know, weird things where, um, so Mayor Bowser, the D.C. mayor, who, by the way, had been telling those of us who live in D.C. for days, don't come to don't come downtown. For, plan not to come downtown for days ahead of these rallies. We expect these armed extremists. And it was public. It was all over D.C. It wasn't a secret. And a couple days before the rally, you know, rally that turned into an insurrectionist attack mob, um, 
the head of the Proud Boys was arrested as soon as he crossed DC lines, um, and for you know with armed with long with guns. Um, so it, it's weird because DC knew that these armed people were coming, and so anyhow, DC Mayor Bowser, after the police were Capitol Police were overrun on Wednesday, was on the phone with a whole bunch of people, and they got the um, they were trying to they got the Capitol Police chief to beg for sending in the National Guard. And the army guy is quoted saying, well, you know, the optics of that wouldn't be good. And there was like several hours of delay. The guy who was supposed to tell, advise the army secretary whether they could send the National Guard. So I've been trying to reach that guy. He and I have been DMing in Pennsylvania um, and he hasn't been forthcoming yet about, you know, how, how he looks at that now. That's helpful. Don't you think, Laura, that restoring America's standing in the world will be will require uh, not just the kind of investigation you described the 9/11 commission um, style investigation but real punishment um, and does that punishment have to extend beyond the mob themselves but the political enablers of the mob do you think that will be important in part of Biden's calculus and thinking about according to how the world will review the restoration of democracy in America I think it's very important. I don't know if, I don't know about Biden's role being, I don't know if he's the one, you know, you saw Biden the other day on the issue of impeachment of of Trump um, or early removal. And he sort of said, this is an issue for Congress. It was Congress that was attacked. It was the Capitol that was attacked. And you see Congress taking the lead. Um, you see some Republicans, even Adam Kinzinger, Senator Patchouli from Pennsylvania, um, Senator Lisa Murkowski from Alaska. We've already seen Senator Mitt Romney, even from the impeachment last year. There are more Republican voices now who understand um, that Trump either needs to be removed. There needs to be some um, more than symbolic um, uh, show that you know Trump can never hold office again. That the you know you see some calls um, uh, that even the opportunistic senators like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz who tried to humor Trump um, with objecting to the certification of Biden's electoral victory you know there's lots of calls that they should be removed from office I don't know if that's going to happen you've seen their funders and their political um, donors um, and mentors say that they disown them they disown Hawley Jack. Anyhow, so so I don't know if Biden is the person who has to own this or, or oversee it, or if it's a collective political establishment, you know, if the collective political class has to be the one to do that. One of the realizations, Laura, is that QAnon is not some abstract conspiracy theory that only lives online. It's a competing, if not more influential force in in Republican Party politics. Now, of course, the Murkowskis and Romneys and Sasses would disaffiliate themselves from that element. But the real question is, has that element of militant, seditious politics within the Republican constituency, has it completely taken over? And it's not a hostage incident anymore. It's the future of that party. And I don't think until the insurrection, until last week, there was real appreciation that the conspiracy theorists didn't just live in their own universe online. They were being mobilized with Trump's incitement and that QAnon has political goals. 
admit to having had a kind of avoidance, I think, of of tuning out the sort of people that I've assumed that everyone else knew were crazy. But I was just noticing in recent days that, for instance, this Georgia attorney who's been associated with um, a lot of Trump's claims that um, he should have won the election in Georgia and the United States, Lynn Wood, um, you know, he's been kicked off Twitter now, but, you know, he's been tweeting not only about that Pence should be, Vice President Pence should be um, forced to resign and executed for treason, but the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, um, would be the one to save the election for Trump. And you see that, you know, um, certain politically ambitious people in the Republican Party have not done their fullmost to dissociate themselves with QAnon. Certainly not Trump, right, who knows that they support him and thought that he could use them and did use them. Um, but even Pompeo, who has nearly 20, 24 political ambitions, is seen in a photograph by a new California, uh, Colorado Republican representative, clearly supportive of QAnon and the insurrection. She's tweeted a photograph from a yes. day ago of her with Pompeo. And I saw, you know, Lynn Wood is sort of of the QAnon, QAnon adjacent, uh, is tweeting positively about Pompeo. I had not seen in all of Pompeo's propagandistic secret, Secretary Pompeo tweets of the past few days extolling his supposed achievements as secretary. Um, and he, he, he's not dissociated himself from QAnon. He wants to write it. He used to ride the Tea Party wave. You know, politically ambitious Republicans like him, um, it's just it's just incredibly dismaying. Unlike, let me say that Adam Kinziger, uh, representative, Republican representative from Illinois, he has denounced QAnon. He has denounced Trump. He has called for Trump's removal. Um, and, and it wasn't just that he did this last Wednesday. The last several weeks and months, he has started to speak out more against the sort of crazies taking over the Republican Party. Pompeo was the most high-ranking official in the aftermath of clear election results that Vice President Biden was president-elect, who insisted at a State Department briefing that the Trump administration would continue to a second term of the Trump administration. And it is in that context that the insurrectionists have built their momentum. Pompeo himself was the highest ranking official to say, assert that Trump would continue to serve even though he lost the election. And I want you to reflect on that in, in, in the context of Pompeo's tenure as Secretary of State, because he made the most anti-democratic statement, I think, of any cabinet member during this transition. And now he has the gall to criticize as if he didn't have any role in contributing to the coup attempt. Yeah, so I was also stunned by that. And I wrote a piece at Diplomatic about, you know, comparing Pompeo um, to, I don't know if you've seen the Iannucci film, The Death of Stalin. Um, but, you know, just the craven, craven positioning to try to, you know, he's always trying to balance between looking like a responsible adult and kissing up to whoever he thinks he has to for maximizing his political power. And I think, you know, some people looked at that Pompeo statement and thought maybe he was joking. Um, I didn't know how to take it. And he looked stressed. 
And then further in that same bizarre press conference, someone was asking him about, he was about to take a trip to Europe and the Middle East. And they were asking him, you know, well, all the foreign leaders you meet are going to want to talk about the next administration. And, and uh, he kept attacking a reporter who asked that, saying that's a ridiculous question, that's ridiculous, ridiculous. And, you know, several times it was just, yes. And um, so here we are. Um, last week was the first time the State Department issued a statement um, I think it was on Thursday, saying Secretary of State Pompeo met with um, President-elect Joe Biden's nominee to be Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, blah, 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 blah. They had a nice meeting. I mean, it was the first time they sort of used the officialese that Pompeo likes to use to assert that Pompeo, Biden was the president-elect. How does uh, Secretary Blinken and the new national security team, how do they... How do they help the country with the domestic challenges? And should that be their priority before uh, Blinken, for instance, is deployed around the world um, to help resolve international disputes? You have a sense of what the most. I think this is a, I think this is a huge, huge, great, important question. I've been thinking about it more, you know, that. Um, I know Jake Sullivan, who's going to be Biden's national security advisor, um, has spent a lot of time the past couple of years, I think even since Trump's election, um, asking questions about, you know, look, there's a group of people who are voting for Trump, who voted for Trump, because the government is not, is not solving their needs. And you can't, you can't um, dismiss that. You have to think about that. Why is government not um, satisfying so many people, right? And that's not just a Democratic or Republican problem. You know, that I don't think you can condemn everyone who voted for Trump. Um, not everyone who voted for Trump, all those 74 million people were the people who did the, you know, implemented the attack last week. That, that's, that was a subset, 8,000 people or so. So anyhow, um, I think that is a huge question. I don't know if that's going to be Blinken's job so much. I think Secretary of State is more an outward leaving position. You're... Uh, Certainly, he he will speak to the American people and have a big platform to do so. But I think Jake Sullivan and Biden certainly, you know, remember, Biden's whole reason for running um, was Charlottesville. And that was his sort of theory of the case is that the country has to save itself. And I think he called it right. It wasn't just economics. It wasn't just identity politics. It was, you know, I think... He understands the kind of brokenness of the country under Trump. And I think there is a direct line between Charlottesville and what we saw last week in the Capitol. Great point, Laura. With respect to the future of American diplomacy, uh, it was reported that Secretary Tillerson decimated rank and file, um, contributing to low morale. But shortly after Pompeo took uh, the reins, it was clear that things were not improving. That's right. So, but, but the interesting thing about it, Laura, is that Tillerson, when it came to propriety and ethics and fairness, um, I would have imagined that, uh, that Tillerson actually comported that office um, with, with greater respect. I think so. I, I think so. I think that um, 
what he did is sort of make an enemy of the department and treated the people who worked in the building as kind of to be not trusted. And I think Pompeo, because he had Trump's confidence, and that is, that is, I will say that is a skill set that Pompeo has, is he managed to stay on Trump's good side for most of the, most of his term, that, that could have, that could have um, given a sort of shell of protection to the State Department. But in the end, we saw with the in, impeachment hearings over Ukraine and, and the ambassador in Ukraine, Yovanovitch, that, you know, Trump couldn't protect people and he wouldn't, he wouldn't um, do anything publicly um, that he was afraid Trump would fire him by tweet. He wouldn't, he wasn't willing to risk his uh, reputation like that to protect people when it mattered. Um, I think that he generally, you know, Trump's busy with lots of other things and he managed to keep Trump from attacking the State Department constantly. Uh, but, but yeah, when it came down to it, Pompeo would not risk himself to stand up for his people. I think Tillerson needlessly um, made enemies of the department and and in the end did not have um, Trump's confidence to be able to protect the department, if that makes any sense. I think his policy positions, his, his basic sanity um, and the fact that he wasn't politically ambitious himself. Yeah. And I think Blinken, let me just say that Blinken, yeah. the, the fact is you're having Wendy Sherman, who was, I know very well, I, traveled with her quite a bit during the Obama administration to the Iran nuclear negotiations. She's a first class diplomat. Um, um, she's going to be the deputy secretary of state under Blinken. Blinken himself, um, everyone I've ever talked to who's worked with Blinken um, always says not just that he's smart or blah, 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 but that he's a very decent, personable person, you know, a nice person. And um, that's something that, you know, um, Toria Newland's also a veteran diplomat who's worked in lots of bipartisan administrations. She worked for Cheney as well. So I think the building will not be the enemy. I think that they are going to use these diplomats who want to serve the United States, that they are not going to be shut out the way they have been. How are they going to pick up the pieces on North Korea, on Iran, that are just uh, completely you know, torn asunder since Obama left? So I think that... Um, let me say talk on Iran because I know that better than the North Korea one. I think that, um, you know, Biden's talked about he wants to work with allies. There's NATO, there's Europeans, Canada, et cetera. So I think, you know, right away you'll see Blinken go to Canada and go to Europe and Brussels and meet with the European allies. And I think very soon he's going to get back in the room um, with the with the parties that are part of the um, beleaguered Iran nuclear deal and figure out what they want to do with that. I think if they stick with uh, what they were saying through their campaign, um, they're going to offer um, a return for a return. That if Iran reverses all of its violations, uh, reductions of its commitments to the nuclear deal, that uh, the United States will go back in and that they'll try then at some point to negotiate on other concerns. Um, um, but I, I would give them a chance to meet with the Europeans first and see where they are. Uh, North Korea, you know, so one thing I'll say. Trump didn't achieve anything, but it was a really tough problem. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure that they. I'm not sure that that was the worst policy outcome that they had. They didn't denuclearize, but they, you know. So, so I don't know who's going to be in charge of that. Wendy Sherman has done both negotiations with North Korea and Iran, and I think she'll have an important role in that. 
And, you know, what, what do you think would internationally be the strongest position the United States can be in four years from now, aside from the domestic stabilization? I mean, we can't assume that the domestic stabilization and, and restoration of democracy is, is, is imminent. It, it's not. But separate from that, realistically, what would be a success for a, for a first term of... God, that's amazing. I mean, can you, can you restore confidence in U.S. leadership you know, globally? Do our allies trust the U.S. is not just going to be swinging um, on this pendulum between um, you know, extreme right um, erratic administrations and um, you know, Obama-type um, progressive administrations. I, I think um, that is a huge question. And, um, you know, I, 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 I don't know if I can see that far. Honestly, every week, I wonder if we're going to get through the week. And often is not, <laughs> the week has been so shocking. You know, we've just gone, like all of us, we've just gone through so many shocking weeks um, that of course, I, I don't know if I can see. I don't know if I can see that far ahead. Yeah, you know, I don't well, know if the people like Ted Cruz and Mike Pompeo are going to be discredited from their associations with Trump. Um, and, and you know who's going to be running for the Republican Party? I think that'll that'll be a lot of the stuff that we're seeing. And um, I, I, I can't see that far yet. We have to secure public health and democracy. The achievements that are most touted by the outgoing administration are in the Middle East. And there's a very, I think, compelling question about how superficial and how real um, and how meaningful any of those changes are going to be with respect to treaties that were made in the Middle East. Um, What is your sense of, of whether or not that was all show or there is anything enduring that will come from it? I think it was a modest achievement. The fact that, you know, the Abraham Accords, I think you're talking about the um, first United Arab Emirates. And then um, I guess we had um, Bahrain um, um, and then Morocco all um, spoke to normalization with Israel to various degrees. Look, all those countries don't like, don't like Iran. And um, um, they'd already been cooperating to some degree with Israel behind the scenes. And, So I think that is an achievement. It's a modest achievement. Um, Maybe it's one that Obama couldn't have done because those countries were afraid that Obama had done the Iran nuclear deal, which they saw as somehow legitimating Iran. Um, And so they didn't trust maybe Obama to be the person to bring them all together. I don't agree with the Trump administration analysis that you had to leave the Iran nuclear deal to bring those countries together. I think if they were, they didn't like the Iran nuclear deal, that would have brought them together anyhow. And so do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I, so I think they, they've overstated their role in making this happen. I do think it was an election. Give me, I think that the UAA might've wanted to help Trump with the election, you know, win. And they were trying to help him have foreign policy achievements, capital F, capital B, capital A, you know, before the election. And that was the way Jared Kushner very much rolled them out as, you know, he was at one point, I was on a call with him, a press call. um, And he really said, like, we're so honored to be nominated for the Nobel Prize. And I just couldn't believe it. My job was 
on the floor that he felt like he'd helped Trump, you know, get that nomination. And I, you know, he really felt like he had done, uh, ended World War II. And, I, and so the gap between the non-warlike state that, I, anyhow, I, I don't know how, do you understand? Like they really felt like it was a huge achievement and it wasn't such a huge achievement and I don't, but it wasn't a bad thing. That's all I can say. Laura Rosen of The Diplomatic and Just Security, thank you so much for your insight today. Thanks, Alexander. Thank you.